The following is a special sports presentation of UltimateSportsTalk.com. A swing and a pop-up. First base side foul ground playable. Santana makes the catch. The Indians have won the American League pennant. UltimateSportsTalk.com now presents the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. A comprehensive look at the Cleveland Indians and Cincinnati Reds. For the seventh consecutive season, we examine each team and their progress throughout the 2017 Major League Baseball season. And now, the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Well, the winning streak is over for the Cleveland Indians. It ended up at 22 last Friday night, but they started another winning streak. They've won two straight and the American League Central Division. They are now the Central Division champs for the second week or second year in a row. And don't look now, but the Cincinnati Reds are playing some great baseball as they are just two games out of the fourth spot in the National League Central Division, and that's something that I know they want to attain before the year is out. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. I'm Dave Mitchell. Glad to have you along tonight on the show as we're going to talk about the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds. And in order to do that, We've got to go down south and talk to our resident Reds expert, Mark Donahue, about just what's going on with the Reds. Mark, is it important for the Reds to finish out of the basement this year? Well, I don't think it, it matters that much in the scheme of things, other than maybe psychologically for the organization. But, uh, you know, the Reds in August had a winning record. They were 15 and 14, and right now they're 9 and 7 in September. So I think what's more important, whether they finish in fifth or fourth, is that they w- were to have a winning record in the last two months of the season. That would be important, and it's something that they can build on, and Dave, I know you've been following the Reds, too. Uh, They've been getting really good pitching from their young staff, and that's the most encouraging thing, is that they are their offense continues to be there, although it's spotty from time to time. But the pitching has been much better, and Robert Stevenson yesterday uh, came up with another excellent outing, and um, so the Reds, uh, you know, it, things are not as bleak as they were, say, back in May and June. They, they've certainly improved since then. And uh, 24 and 21 of the last, uh, what, six, seven weeks, that's not bad. Mark. And that's that's how you build. Robert Stevenson is going to make me look like an idiot, isn't he? Well, that wasn't a high bar uh, <laughs> to, to, to do that. Uh, but, no, I, I think that... You were right to question his um, his capabilities and the Reds' wisdom in, in drafting him, making him a number one pick, even though he was, uh, I think he was in the, what, 23rd round at the time, um, or 23rd pick overall. Uh, you know, he's, maturity with a pitcher sometimes comes sooner with some than others. And uh, what, what has changed with him uh, is his slider. Uh, that thing has a huge break on it, and he's he's finally controlling it. My only my only reservation about him it's not his velocity. He can throw 97, 98. Uh, his breaking ball is good, but his motion is a violent motion. And yeah, it every is. pitch, it looks like he, he throws it at maximum uh, power, uh, you know, to get the break on the ball and to get the velocity up there. Unlike uh, Castillo, he, he has such a, a smooth, fluid motion. It doesn't look, I mean, it just, everybody can get a sore arm, but the way Castillo throws does not lend itself to serious arm injuries because he, he's not throwing at max velocity every time or max effort every time. Stevenson is. And I'm just wondering, you know, how that arm's going to hold up uh, over the next four or five years because uh, it's, when I watch him pitch, my, my arm hurts watching him throw. <laughs> you know, he's got great stuff, but uh, that's that's not the way you have a long career with that kind of motion. You bring that up, Mark, and it, it posed a question in my mind while you were talking about that. Can you remember any pitchers that threw sidearm or three-quarter that have had arm problems? Can you think of any throughout your years of watching baseball? It's, oh, I'm sure there have been, but you're right. Uh, you know, you... you you take a lot of torque off that elbow uh, when you do it that way. And um, Stevenson comes right overhand, and, man, he 
he throws that shoulder and that elbow at the, at the, at the plate every time. And he, he, he can throw hard. There's no question about that. But I, I hope I hope I'm wrong. I hope what I'm seeing is not something that's going to come back and, and you know hurt him and hurt the Reds down the road. Well, the 22-game winning streak is over for the Cleveland Indians. We all knew it was going to come to an end at some point in time, and Friday night it did. They didn't have another magical evening like they did on Thursday night when Jay Bruce got the game-winning double in the ball game. I mean, it was it was a magical night on Thursday night for them to get the 22nd in a row. But on Friday night, I got to tell you, Mark, I was glad the thing came to an end so that it didn't get strung out. And what even made me more happy was the fact that the Indians won the next two ball games against Kansas City. As I've always said, it's not the winning streak that has me impressed. It's what you do after the winning streak ends. And the Indians have come right back, and they've won the, the next two ball games. That's what's impressive to me. Yeah, and when you lose, was a 4-3, to three, they lost to Kansas City the other night. It's, uh, they were right in that game as well. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. I, I remember back in 1975, I think, the Reds were 41-9 and nine during a streak. And uh, it looks like the Indians are going to be real close to that, if not beating that, uh, in their last 50 games of the year, or 50 games from now. Uh, they, they have to be pretty close to that because they were playing good ball even before the streak. But when you look at 41 and 9, uh, an 820 winning percentage, <laughs> that's pretty strong. But uh, the, the Indians, uh, I, I think they're right where they need to be in terms of going into the playoffs. You couldn't, you couldn't ask for much more than what they have right now. Well, right now they are 93 and 57. As I said, they, they actually clinched the division late, late Saturday night. And they celebrated with the crowd after yesterday's ball game. Matter of fact, when that 22-game win streak came to an end, Mark, I don't know if you had the opportunity to see it Friday night, but the final out was made, and there was a it was a sellout crowd at Progressive Field. There wasn't a seat to be had the entire weekend. They sold out the entire weekend. But when that streak was over and the Indians were walking off the field, the crowd stood as one, gave them a standing ovation, and the Indians as an entire team came out and saluted the fans. I mean, it was just, a, it was, I, you know, I said it earlier, I'll say it again, it was a magical moment. That's something that I know I'm probably never going to see again in my lifetime. I don't know if my kids are ever going to see a 22-game winning streak, but that was something that that was so dominant by the Indians. I mean, their, their, their run differential during this entire win streak, Mark, was 104. I mean, you can't get that. Some some teams don't even have that during the regular season, let alone what they did during the streak. They had one, only one walk-off victory, and that was the 22nd game. That was the game on Thursday night. The rest of the games were an absolute, I, I, I don't even know what you'd call it. Like I said, I, I don't think I'll, I'll, I will never see anything like that, a show of total dominance over that period of time, that long a period of time in Major League Baseball ever again. Well, you could argue that they have the longest streak in baseball in history because the 2000 or 1914 Giants, they had a 26 game winning streak, but they had a tie in there. <laughs> so, uh, you know, there's an argument to be made. The Indians have done something that no other team has ever done in the history of baseball. So the chances of you never seeing it again are pretty good. Uh, it was, you're right. It wasn't just winning the games and they didn't have any like crazy like a, a, somebody dropped a pop-up on the team and they won a game in the last inning. or They just beat the hell out of everybody. Yeah. And they did it. They did it across the board. They did it offensively. Their pitching was dominant. They had great defense. Everything that a manager sets out to do. Uh, imagine Francona um, telling about this team 10 years from now, or anybody talking about it, but he was right there watching them. You could not have had over a 22-game period, a, a more perfect, dominant performance by a team over the rest of the league than the Indians had. And that is something you teach from, okay? How did they do that? Well, there'll be analysts for the next 20 years breaking down what the Indians did in 2017 to win 22 straight games. It, it, it's an exciting thing to be part of, and I'm really glad the Indian fans re reacted that way. I saw that, and you know, when you looked at it, when I first saw it, it looked like they'd won. 
because everybody was yeah. cheering and standing up, and the fans were, uh, you know, on their feet, and the players were waving at the fans, and it was really kind of heartwarming to see that. Uh, it's almost kind of a relief. I mean, it's yeah. like, oh my god. Uh, so, and they didn't play a bad game. You know, that's that no. was great that they they lost. It was four to three. It was a close game. They could have won it. Uh, I, I would have hated to have seen it in getting beat 12 to three or something. They make 12 errors or <laughs> something like that. I wouldn't want that to happen. But congratulations to the Indians. And uh, who would have thought that the, we'd be talking about of the two teams who had the longest winning streak this week? It's the Reds. They yeah. won three in a row. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a couple of things. Tom Hamilton, I thought, said it best on the broadcast of the game on Friday night when the Indians got beat. He said this was a great baseball game. This was a great Major League Baseball game played by two teams that really wanted to go out there and win. Kansas City just did not roll over and play dead. They got out there and man, they have bought, they fought tooth and nail against the Indians not only on Thursday night but Friday night and Saturday. Now yesterday's game was, Corey Kluber was dominant throughout the entire game. He won his 17th game of the season. But here's another number that I want to throw out at you, Mark, and you're going to enjoy this one. Since Jay Bruce was acquired from the New York Mets, the Indians have gone 32 and 7 since Jay Bruce, and he hasn't played every game. He hasn't played all 39 games. Don't get me wrong, but they are 32 and 7 since Jay Bruce has come over from the Mets. Now, let me ask you this. Did the Reds ever go 32 and 7 at any stretch when Jay Bruce was with them? I'd have to check. I don't think so. Yeah. Even when they won the division, uh, I don't think they did. But the question is going to be, how do the Indians not re-sign Jay Bruce? That's a good question. I mean, I, I don't know how they would. I don't know why they wouldn't, first of all, unless the money that Jay Bruce wants is completely out of the, the ozone of the Indians. I know they, they want to sign both Santana and Bruce, who are free agents at the end of the year. But Jay Bruce's stats, Mark, combined with the Mets and the Indians, he's got 34 home runs and 94 RBIs. This is one of the best years that Jay Bruce has ever had. And he is just having right now, if you would have seen him interviewed at the end of the game on Thursday night after his game-winning double, he's having the time of his life these last two months playing with the Indians. Yeah, I, I did see those, and it, it's pretty interesting, his enthusiasm. And to be able to lead the Mets that are going to finish last place in the East, or I guess uh, fourth place in the East, uh, ahead of Philadelphia, but uh, for Jay to get a new life like this uh, in Cleveland, and you know, he and, he and uh, Joey Votto are, are very good friends. They be, I guess they, they text and talk every day. And I'm sure uh, Joey is very happy for Jay, and it, it's sad that a player – like Votto, uh, is not going to have a chance to do what Jay is. Uh, well, he, he had a chance in, in 10, 12, and 13. didn't happen for him, for Joey. But Jay Bruce has a chance to win a world championship. And now, with this, with this winning streak, uh, it would be a real upset if they don't win it. Uh, right now, there, there's, I would bet Las Vegas has them as odds on favorites to win the World Series. And they and they really should. They get the best team in baseball. And as we've said before, it, it would be tragic if this team were knocked out by a, a wild card team that got hot oh. uh, at, at the wrong time, like Minnesota or the Angels or somebody barely over 500. You know, they, they get lucky and they get hot and they knock out somebody like the Indians. And the Indians will play the winner of that of that play-in game uh, and, uh, that in the first series. So that's um, Indians should win it easily, but I'd hate for baseball not to have the four best teams. Now, here's a question for you. Uh, right now, as you look at the standings, who would you like to see the final four be? Oh, boy. Um, Houston and the Indians. I, I think Houston has played – played more consistent baseball than Boston and the Yankees the entire year. So so uh, Houston and the Indians in the American League and the Dodgers and probably Washington. I, I think the Cubs are coming on right now. They've won six in a row. They're up six on the Cardinals right now. But 
Mark, uh, the the Cubs have not been consistent this year. They've got the World Series hangover, as everybody wants to call it. And I think the two best teams in the National League right now are Washington and the Dodgers. But I'm also going to say this. If you, if you gave me my druthers, I'd rather see the Dodgers and Arizona. But you asked me who the final four were, were going to be, and the Dodgers are going to end up playing Arizona in the first round of the playoffs. And that's not going to be an easy series no. for the Dodgers. And, you know, it's interesting. When you look at the four teams that could be there, I have, they're, they're, as I see it, there are five super teams, uh, the four you mentioned and the Cubs. Uh, those five teams are clearly better than everybody else in baseball. I think there's a big gap between those five and the rest of baseball, which means one of them is not going to make it. Mm-hmm. So you, you you have the Cubs, you have L.A., uh, you've got uh, Washington, uh, the Indians. And Houston. And Houston. Okay. Now, what team are you leaving out there? I, I think you're leaving out Arizona. I think Arizona has played. Well, you know, the Yankees have been up and down all year. I mean, and, and but I think if you look at the team overall, I think Arizona's a better baseball team than the Yankees are, or Boston. Yeah, we haven't talked much about Boston, and the Reds are going to have something to say about that. <laughs> uh, but you know, Boston's getting lost in the conversation about the other, you know, the other five teams. So you have the top. I, I think you and I agree the top five teams in baseball: are the Cubs, the Dodgers, the Nationals, the Indians, and Houston. Did you agree with that? Yeah, I would. I would agree with that. Although, although I, I got to put a caveat to that. I think Arizona, I still think Arizona is playing just as well, if not better, than the Cubs. But I'll I'll put I'll I'll defer to the Cubs on this. Okay, just but I'm, what I'm trying to get at is there there's a drop off then after those five teams, and and very close behind or, or or near near them are the Yankees, Arizona, and Boston. Yep. Okay, so you get you get eight teams out of thirty that. Um, are, 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 I think everybody would agree are the top eight in baseball. I'm trying to think who, who are we missing in terms of the standings that, that could you know, cause some problems, but I, I don't... You can't put Milwaukee in that area. I mean, Milwaukee no. is not in that, that realm. Minnesota is not in that realm, even though they're close to making the playoffs. The Angels really aren't in that realm. You know, you're putting the Yankees in it. I, I, of all the teams that you're talking about, the Yankees are the team that I would disagree the most with. But other than that, I mean, I mean, after after the Yankees, you've got teams, Mark, that, yeah, a couple of them are going to make the playoffs, but it's only because they've got to have five. Okay, now, about those teams, okay, what do they have in common, most of them, the vast majority have in common? On the field or off? Both. Uh, on the field, they've all got superior pitching. Um, it may not be from the starters all the way down to the closer, through the bullpen to the closer, but they've got superior pitching to the other 22 teams that we were talking about in Major League Baseball. Off the field, they've all got dynamic general managers that didn't sit around and wait for the pennant to come to them except one. And that, I still go back to Rizzo, in Washington, he seems to not want to make any moves with that Nationals team, no matter what. He lets the pennant come to him. He doesn't go after the pennant. So of, this, of the eight teams that we're talking about, seven of them, I think, have exemplary front offices. Well, the other thing they have is money, and they have populations. The uh, I forget what the fourth largest city in the country is, but you've got New York, Chicago, Los Angeles, Houston's number five, uh, and then Phoenix, Boston, uh, Washington, D.C. These teams have a lot of money. And the, the thing about these teams is they spend it. They spend their money on their rosters. Uh, you, you were mentioning last week a list of the, of the payrolls. I bet these eight teams are all uh, you know, near the top. Uh, they were up there except for the Indians. Except if you remember, the yeah. Indians were about 19th. Yeah, I was just going to say that in terms of uh, market demographic and all that stuff. So you could argue 
that the Indians are the best managed organization in that list because the other teams have money to burn mm-hmm. uh, to, to go out and fill out their rosters. Even Phoenix is a major market. Boston's a major market. Uh, and not only that, but the you know, cost of tickets and everything, it, it's, it's, they have a lot of money that they can, they can spend. Right. Uh, my point was that the Indians, you know, based on that list we looked at last week, they have to be the best-run organization in baseball based on the results vis-a-vis their, um, their payroll. I think they've done more with less than anybody else in baseball. It's funny that you bring this up, and we've told people this throughout the seven years that we've done this show. You and I don't compare notes as to what we want to talk about before the show, except for maybe a couple of minutes before the show, right? We we don't compare notes. One of the things that one of the things that I wanted to bring up tonight was the fact that I think the Indians have got the best organization in baseball. I would have never said that when we began this show seven years ago. Not in, if you remember, do you remember who the manager of the Indians was when we started this show, Mark? Uh, I, I can see him, but I can't think of his name. Manny Acta. Uh, oh man, I, I thought it was Mike Har- Hargrove. No, no, it yeah. was not Hargrove. It was Manny Acta, and you know just how much I, I adored Manny Acta, and <laughs> and you know this organization ever since they took went out there, and I never thought they'd get Terry Francona. Never in a million years. If you remember the show that we did, that the night that ESPN came out and said the Indians were going to talk with Terry Francona after they fired Manny Acta. I told you on the show that night, there's no way Terry Francona is going to come to the Indians. And he did. And then Mark Shapiro leaves the Indians and goes to Toronto. Now they've got front office upheaval. Mark, since Mark Shapiro left this team and Terry Francona came in, I think this is the best-run team in baseball. And like I said, I would have never said that seven years ago. Well, given what he did in Boston and what he's doing in Cleveland, isn't Francona a Hall of Famer? He's got to be. Yeah, yeah, he's got to be. Matter of fact, I I think right now, today, as it stands, not only are the Indians the best team in baseball, I think Francona's the best manager in baseball. Even over Joe Madden. I can't disagree with it because, again, you look at what Madden had to work with in terms of payroll and, and unlimited resources. Uh, Francona couldn't make mistakes. Neither could that front office, and they didn't. They didn't make mistakes. That's why you go 22-0. and 0. But this, this team right now, it, it, it scares me that if they don't win it, they should have won it last year. Should have. I mean, they were, they were one inning away from perhaps starting a dynasty that could have matched the Big Red Machine, you know, back in the, uh, in the mid-70s. Yeah. The Indians would have won last year, and if they win this year, well, then you've set a precedent and set a, a standard that w- as long as they play good ball the next five or six years, you're talking, you know, team of the decade or whatever you're going to call them. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that, that one inning last year. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's like in 95. I mean, they should have won it then. Yeah. Should have won it in 90, well actually, 95, I don't know, that was kind of, uh, that, that, that series didn't bother me as much as 97. They should have won the 97 series against the Marlins. You win that series, you know, but here's another thing that the Indians have done. They've thrown caution to the wind. When you say they've, they've made the right moves, Mark, last year they go out and they get Andrew Miller, who's making $9 million a year as a middle reliever. But the Indians saw the, the importance that he not only brought to this team, but took away from the Yankees. Can you imagine where the Yankees would be if they still had Andrew Miller right now? I mean, they, they, they'd probably be on top of Boston. Now, the other, on the other hand, they went out and they got Encarnacion during the offseason to take the place of Napoli. And Encarnacion's numbers are right up there as well, as good as Napoli's were last year, if not better. Encarnacion's got 36 home runs, 94 RBIs, Mark this year for the Indians. Quietly. Nobody's really talking about him having a year like this. And then on the other but hand... He got off to a, what's that? He, he, he got off to a slow start. Yeah. And I think he, he just kind of snuck up on people. Yeah. And then they go out and they get Jay Bruce, who's in the final year of his contract, but he was making $14, 15000000 million this year. They picked up that contract. Sure, it was only for the last three months of the year. But he has been a godsend to the Indians. So not only have they gone out and said, hey, we're going to go for this thing, they have gone out and gotten players that are making big money 
to bring them into this setting. And they have not missed a beat, Mark. They have not missed a beat. Normally when you'd bring in a player like Encarnacion, he'd want to be the center of attention. Not on this team. Jay Bruce, I know you've never had any problems with Jay Bruce whatsoever, but the caliber of player that Jay Bruce is normally brings with them a lot of distractions. Jay Bruce, no distractions whatsoever. Matter of fact, Jay Bruce, and I don't remember the town in Texas that he's from, so forgive me on this, but it's near Houston. And when the hurricane hit Houston, it also hit his hometown. He immediately set up a fund for people to help those people in his hometown. Mark, the Indians not only matched what he brought in, he was able to give that city about a million dollars just because of that. Not every organization in baseball is going to do something like that. And for Jay Bruce, just a couple of weeks being with the Indians, to be able to turn around and do something like that after becoming a member of the Indians, that just shows you what type of an organization they've got. Yeah, and, and Jay Bruce, he's he's a good player. He's an outstanding player, but he's a, he's a better guy. Yeah. I mean, every nobody had any problem with Jay Bruce and the Reds organization. He's so well thought of. And when he was traded last year, it, it was, you know, it was it was sad because he had done he had been a kid that everybody had liked growing up through the organization. I I, I think he was from Beaumont, Texas. That's it, Beaumont. You're right. Is that it. That's it. I forgot what it was, but I think it's Beaumont. Anyway, um, he he was well liked. He was he was the next superstar, and he never really achieved that kind of Mike Trout stature on the field. Uh, he's he's a level. He's not even to the Joey Votto level, but he's a very good player. Uh, he's underrated defensively. He's got a great arm. He's a smart base runner, and he'll get you a big hit. And, and he's, he hits left-handers. Uh, so he, he's a guy who can hit 250, 260, hit 30, 35 home runs, and drive in 100 runs. And he keeps his mouth shut, and he plays hard. And the fans like him. So there's not a lot not to like about Jay Bruce, and that's why I hope the Indians – I mean, in the American League, Jay Bruce, as a DH, he has a long career ahead of him mm-hmm. he wants to play. So I, I hope that he is yeah, – he was born in, I remember, 87 or 88 – so he's yes. thirty years old. Yeah, yeah, he's thirty, thirty-one years old. And and he's and what? So and one thing you didn't mention, Mark, he's a great defensive outfielder. Yeah, I, I think he's underrated defensively. I saw him play, you know, for ten years, and he he, he goes back on the ball well. He, he covers the gaps well, charges the ball well. Uh, so he's not going to hurt you anywhere on the on the team. And and I think uh, that it would be awfully hard. The Indians go all the way this year. I don't know how you tell Indians fans we can't afford Jay Bruce because they can't afford him. <laughs> okay, as far as the Reds are concerned, and there's a couple other things I want to get into with the Indians, but I want to drop down here and talk about the Reds and a couple of things that are going on with them. They're 66 and 84 uh, off tonight, two games behind Pittsburgh in fourth place. Mark, why have they beaten up on Pittsburgh so much this year? I don't think Pittsburgh's very good. I think that's the reason. And there's a good ma- the Reds. They don't have any dominating pitching uh, overall. Pittsburgh doesn't. And the Reds hit well. And unless you have dominating pitching, they're going to score a lot of runs. The Reds have scored a lot of runs against them this year. But offensively, the Reds, they're in rarefied air right now. They have, I think yesterday, their fifth guy hit over 25 home runs this year. That hasn't been done since 1956. And they have uh, Zach Gozart has 23. So they're going to hit probably 220, 230 mm-hmm. home runs this year. That's, that's serious power. You, you look at that lineup, and they've been playing Shebler in center field. And, I mean, every every spot in that lineup can take you deep. And there's not one there's not one soft spot in that lineup. And I was listening to the, uh, I guess it was the Brewers broadcast last week when the Reds swept them. Mm-hmm. And they were saying the same thing. This is actually, you know, Billy Hamilton is an out. Uh, he's going to hit, hit 240, 250 with no power. But you put Shevler in center field, and that that team has the potential of every player on that team hitting 20 or 25 home runs. And in some cases, 30 or 35 with Jay Bruce and uh, Adam Duvall. So that's a scary lineup to, to negotiate. 
and I don't know what they're going to do next year with Jesse Winker, but even he has six home runs this year, and no <laughs> one expected that from him. So this guy's on he's only been up for six weeks. So but this guy could also hit 25 or 30 home runs next year. All right, let me ask you about a couple of minor leaguers. First of all, I understand that the Reds have decided, finally decided, it took them about two months to put Tommy Green, who was their number one draft pick this year, uh, left-handed pitcher. Is he? I believe he's left-handed, right? Who? Tommy Green. Hunter. Hunter Green. You mean Hunter Green? Hunter Green. Yeah. No, Hunter Green. Hunter Green is right-handed. Right-handed. Okay. So they're going to leave him as a pitcher. Yes. Okay. What made them come to that decision? Because he's an outstanding well, hitter. Two, uh, two, two things. He he's an outstanding hitter, but he hit only two eleven. Uh, in his you know brief minor league stint, and which is not something you want to judge anybody on, but he he's throwing. He's 18 years old. He just turned 18 in August. Yeah. This kid, he's throwing at 102 miles an hour, and we were talking about the motion of a of a Robert Stevenson. I saw Hunter Green pitch. I guess it was about a month ago, and his motion is just the opposite. You, you, you remember? Uh, I'm trying to think who. Nolan Ryan, okay? Mm-hmm. Nolan Ryan did not have a violent throw, throwing motion. No, not at all. Some of these guys are they're so smooth and they're powerful and they got big legs and they got big butts. And that's where you that's where you create your power when you're a pitcher. It's your lower unit. Your arm has to be strong obviously, but if you're a guy with skinny spindly legs and you got a big arm, that's how you get hurt because they're generating all their power with their arm. Uh, this Hunter Green kid, he's six four, he's two twenty, and he's eighteen years old. He's going to be a big dude, and right now he's throwing at one hundred and two. So, why do you put him on the mound and not shortstop? Because he's got a once in a lifetime, <coughs> pardon me, arm, and you don't want to waste it short. All right, so then the other player that I want to bring up, besides Hunter Green, is Nick Senzel, who was the number one pick a year ago. Now, he has been experiencing some problems with vertigo. Where is he at now? Have they decided to sit him for the rest of the year, or is he back yet? No, he's, he's done. Uh, they decided not to take a chance on it, and he's being treated. Now, the, the Reds are downplaying it, saying that there's nothing more than, you know, he got some he got an ear infection, and it turned into... Something they wanted to to address, but it, it's not as they consider it that serious. So who knows what's going to happen? But uh, Senzel is a bat that is going to add to that lineup next year. So there's there, there's reasons to be excited if you're a Reds fan, and it, it's both offensively and defensively. They they have some good young talent. The question I got is is their current manager uh, the guy who's supposed to lead that team now going forward? I, I don't know. Brian Price is a he, he's a good guy, and a lot of people like him for his academic approach to to a team. But I, I wonder if he's he's the guy on the bench that can lead a good team, like a Francona. Mm-hmm. He, he's not he's not in this, he's not in that league. So I hope that they give him a chance. But you don't want to go through another two or three years by having the wrong manager direct this team that clearly has some talent in the, in, in the Myers. Well, and keep in mind, Dick Williams is not the guy that hired Brian Price either. That's right. He didn't. It was, it was jockey. But um, the, the question is, what, what do you think? Do you think Price is the guy? No. No. I, I like Brian Price as a manager. Do I think he's the manager that this team needs? Probably not. Um but then again, I look at the managers and the possible managers that are available out there. You know, when Arizona hired Tori Lavallo, I knew he was going to be a good manager just because I knew of his pedigree. And you don't know a lot of the pedigrees. I think Sandy Alomar Jr. is going to make an outstanding manager if he ever gets the opportunity. You know, all throughout our lifetimes, Mark, there have been guys that just never got the opportunity to make to manage a Major League Baseball team, and we've sat back and wondered why and never really got the full answer on a lot of them. And Sandy Alomar Jr. 
is one of those. I thought when the White Sox were looking for a manager, he was the perfect guy to take over the job. When Colorado was looking for a manager, I thought he was the perfect guy to take over that job, and they go out and they hire Walt Weiss. Why they ever did that, I'll never know. You know, Milwaukee hired Craig Council as their manager, bringing him down. I still don't have a clue as to why they decided to to make him the manager. Uh, I'm not sure Brad Osmus, you know, Osmus had a great, great pedigree and a resume to be a major league manager, and Detroit plucked him out of the San Diego organization to take over for Jim Leland. He has not proven to be the guy, although i got to be honest, he, has, he was given a deck of cards with the Tigers that was basically a falling house of cards, if you can follow my analogy there. Um, sure. You know, I thought you called it when Washington needed a manager. Dusty Baker was the hands-down choice. He, he was it. He was the guy that Washington needed to go in there, kick some butt, and make that team a winner because he was the type of guy that knew how to win, and they needed somebody like him. They, they. If you remember, Mark, before uh, there, there was somebody in between Davy Johnson and Dusty Baker. But Davey Johnson had that team winning also. And those guys seemed to respond to the veteran-type manager presence in Washington, and Dusty Baker was it. Joe Madden, again, he, you know, he, he managed to, to take advantage of a clause in his contract to sneak out of Tampa Bay and get to Chicago. So there's just a lot of, a lot of things, but, you know, there are also guys, I don't know, in your history, haven't you ever seen a guy that you thought would make a good major league manager that never got the opportunity? Oh, sure. And and there's there's you know Buddy Bell. I always thought would be a good manager. He did manage for what? Uh, yeah, a couple Texas, teams. He yeah, Detroit. Yeah, yeah Detroit, yeah, Kansas City. But you, but you have to, you know, you have to be the right guy at the right time. Look at Sparky Anderson. <laughs> he never managed in the big leagues until he took over the 1970 Reds. I mean, anybody could have made that team win. Now, if Sparky Anderson would have gone somewhere else, if he, he, he'd reacted to the, an opportunity to manage Philadelphia or, or somebody else during that period of time, they wouldn't have won World Series, and he wouldn't have been considered a Hall of Fame manager. So, so much of it is, depending where you are, the opportunity you get. Look at Joe Torrey before he got with the Yankees. Mm-hmm. He'd been around the horn, was not considered a good manager. He'd lost... He finished last place, I think, with the Mets and a couple other teams. Atlanta, St. Louis. Atlanta hit horrible teams. Yeah. And all of a sudden, he goes to New York, and he's a genius. Well, look at that lineup. Yeah. It's kind of hard to lose with that team. And they won three or four world championships. And how many times did you see, did they pan in on him in the dugout, Mark, and you swore he was fast asleep when he was manager of the Angels? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They they won 110 games one year, 108 games or something like that. I mean, that team was so good. Yeah. So I, I read somewhere, and this is obviously somebody's opinion, that a big league manager might win two or three games for a team just because of his brilliance on the bench. I don't know that's to be true. But that's not their big – but baseball is not that tough to manage. I mean, a, a reasonably good high school baseball manager – can manage the events on the field with, with just about anybody. I mean, it doesn't take the, – the big question is, uh, are you going to hit and run? Are you going to bunt? Or, you know, those are the kinds of major decisions you got to make. But baseball plays itself to a large degree. The bigger part is managing the personalities of 25 guys. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned Jay Bruce fitting into an organization. Well, uh, a, a lot of guys like Jay Bruce would come over and break the organization up. Mm-hmm. Because he's expected the special treatment. That's not the way Jay Bruce rolls. But that's what a manager does. He doesn't manage the play on the field as much as he manages the personalities, the egos, the the clicks that might form on a team. And one thing I do like about the Reds, they seem to have a good clubhouse. Uh, there doesn't seem to be, I guess the most unpopular guy, and this is all rumor, is Homer Bailey. He's supposed to be a real jerk. Now, I don't know that he is. That's just, I know some guys on the team who are, you know, close to the team, and they've told me that. Uh, I don't believe everything I hear about that kind of thing, but 
aside from that, I, everybody seems to get along very well. Uh, Eugenio Suarez is supposed to be just a great teammate, along with Zach Cozart, Scooter Jeanette, Joey Votto, uh, Tucker Barnhart. These are all guys who get along. Uh, you know, they hang together, and that's that's the basis of a team. And this team, you know, hitting 220 some home runs this year, these guys are young, mm-hmm. and they could they do some real damage over the next four or five years in hitting home runs. Mark, you talk about players that have that were supposedly cancers in the clubhouse. I want to bring up one that is synonymous with the Reds and the Indians, and that's Brandon Phillips. The reason that Brandon Phillips was cut by the Indians and traded to the Reds the year that he was was because Eric Wedge said that he was a cancer in the clubhouse and wanted nothing to do with this guy. But he turns around and he goes to the Reds, and whether or not he learned a lesson, he was an exemplary teammate, from what I understand, with the Reds for seven or eight years. That's right. I, I think part of that's maturity and confidence in your position on the team and that you know you're going to play. And, and he had some fantastic years, and you're right. Uh, people who I know around the team, they couldn't talk more highly of Brandon Phillips. And, and I think he's gotten the same result down in Atlanta and then now in, in Los Angeles. I mean, he, he has a chance to be on a team that's going to go to the playoffs. And he's had a good year. I mean, he's, he's still a productive player. And he's playing great. Third, he did. I don't know what he's doing in California, but he was playing great third base yeah. for Atlanta. I mean, I, I couldn't believe how good he was at third base. And with the amount of trade rumors that were going on about him for the last two years that he was in Cincinnati, and the amount of trades, you know, especially the one in Washington where everybody thought he was going to Washington, he never once came out and badmouthed the Reds organization or took the low road on anything. Matter of fact, when he got sent to Atlanta, the only thing he really did was, how could you give my number immediately to Scooter Jeanette? That's about the worst things got between him and the Reds. Yeah, and, you know, I, I, I really can't blame him for that to some extent. I mean, but they said they literally ran out of numbers. <laughs> That's yeah. why they had to do it. So, you know, it's no big deal. I, I don't think anybody is going to hold a grudge against that. And, and the question will be, is he going to be a Reds Hall of Famer? And I think the answer is yes. I mean, he, he, his numbers were, on a career basis, uh, outstanding for the Reds. And he was, I thought, the best defensive player I've ever seen. I, I've never seen anybody covered around like he did. I know you like Alomar, but mm-hmm. uh, he, he Brandon, I, I saw him play probably a thousand ball games. I've never seen anybody cover second base like he did. Mark, I want to ask you about this this 22-game win streak again. This is one of the things that I wanted to come back to as far as the Indians were concerned. That 1916 New York Giants team that won 26 in a row, and as you said at the top of the show, there was a tie in in between there. They had won 14 in a row, or they had won 12 in a row, then there was the tie, and then they won another 14 in a row for the 26. Now, all of those games, by the way, in case you didn't know, were played at the Polo Grounds. They were they were at home. Okay, they they were all at home. All right, that's one thing. Second thing, that tie game. All right, I want to ask you your opinion of this. The tie game was stopped because of darkness. Now back then they didn't have lights on the field, so it was stopped because of darkness. They came back and they played the entire game the next day. Didn't count this game in the standings, but they counted it towards the players' stats. Now, this has been a big story throughout Cleveland throughout the entire two weeks that this streak was going on. In your opinion, is that an an unbeaten streak, or is it a winning streak that the Giants were on? Well, by definition, it's an unbeaten streak. Um, But it's also, I mean, I I think you'd have to define it as an unbeaten streak. But... Technically, it is a winning streak because they didn't lose. So it's a semantical conundrum, <laughs> which I don't think matters. I don't think anybody cares from that 1916 team how they're recognized at this point. Uh, but I, I think the Indians could stake claim. It, it's just like uh, Roger Maris and the 61 home runs. Babe sure. Ruth did it in 154 games. He had 60 home runs. So is that the record? And do you say it's for 154? Or does Roger Maris have it at 61? Or does... Uh, McGuire have it, or Bonds have it. Yeah. I mean, they, they play different schedules. Uh, there's the Bonds-McGuire issue on the steroids, of course. 
how do you how do you separate numbers? Do you, you put asterisks next to everything? I don't know how you do it, Mark. I, yeah, I mean, because you've got different eras in the game of baseball, and and they're all different. <clears throat> well, look at it this way, too. You mentioned that the Giants, they played all their games at the Polo Grounds because that's, that's what they did back then. They didn't Teams didn't travel as much because it was expensive, so they would have long, long homestands. But that means, that remember when they played all-day games, mm-hmm. they had no travel during that period of time, so they probably rested. And as opposed to what the Indians did, which in today's world, with the relief, you know, the re- relief cores, uh, the guys throwing harder, the travel, uh, the press coverage, all this stuff, I think the Indians' uh, accomplishment exceeded that of the Giants. So I, I don't think we'll ever see that again. I, I, I don't, I can't think of a team capable of cobbling together that kind of pitching over a long period of time. Yeah, the Indians starters that, that that's scary what they did over 22 games yeah it, it really was and, and Corey Kluber 17 victories mark a 2.35 ERA this is a better season he's toiling a better season right now than two years ago when he won the Cy Young award and all I ever hear is that Chris Sale is the odds-on favorite to win the Cy Young award why I don't know. I mean, the Indians or the White Sox are having another lousy year. You mean the Red Sox? And He's on the Red Sox. I, mean, I, mean, yeah. the Red Sox. I know. I mean, I'm mean, at the Red Sox. Yeah. Um, they're not having the year. They're having a good year. But the, when he was with the White Sox, he got all kinds of kudos for being the best pitcher in baseball, mm-hmm. as he should, as he should. But what about what Kluber has done on a winning team? That you know, That's what you look at in terms of the best pitcher in baseball. If you have one game you have to win, who are you going to start? <laughs> All of baseball. Pick one guy. <laughs> Mark, we had him in the seventh game last year, and he didn't come through. Not his fault. He, it was the third game he had pitched in the World Series in seven games. But, yeah, I if, I, say, if I had it to come, I'd, I'd go with Kluber again. I mean, you know, look what uh, Kershaw's having a, 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 kind of a rough second half of the year. Yeah. He's given up a ton of home runs this year. I don't know why that is. Uh, is he getting tired? Is he getting overused? But he's still a young guy. And you would think his best years are ahead of him. But, uh, you know, Kluber figured it out. And people forget he was a very mediocre pitcher for a number of years. And I, I, I guess it was the, the two-seam fastball that he went to that somebody taught him that in about an afternoon. Mm-hmm. And he went out and pitched the next night and. You know, he was a different pitcher, basically unhittable. So, and his, with that breaking ball, and the other thing I like about Kluber, that dude is in shape. I mean, he stays in shape. Mm-hmm. And he looks like a, a linebacker out there sometimes. He's, he's very well put together. And that means to me that he's working, he's, he's taking it seriously. He works out a lot, obviously, and he's, he's keeping that arm strong, and that guy could be around for a long time. Mark, I want to talk to you about the idea that the Indians have right now, and that is moving Jason Kipnis, who's back on the team, to center field. Now, he came up, he came to the Indians as a shortstop. Now, normally shortstops can play the outfield, and they moved Kipnis to the outfield, and then a couple of years after he had played the outfield in the minor leagues, they moved him to second base because they thought he could play the position, and he has. But what has happened since Kipnis has had an injury plagued year is that they've moved Jose Ramirez from third to second and Giovanni Herschella has come up to play third along with Yandy Diaz and those two guys have been outstanding at third and the Indians don't want to take those two out of the lineup and considering the fact now that Brad Zimmer who was the regular center fielder broke his hand sliding head first into first base last week and he's out for the rest of the year the Indians have got this idea where they can move Jason Kipnis to center field. Now, this is not a move like Sparky Anderson made, moving Pete Rose from left field to third base. It's not one of those moves. This is a move that could have a lot of dire consequences to the Indians as far as their defense is concerned. How, how do you feel about a move like this this late in the season? Well, it's scary, and, you know, I wouldn't trust Kipnis out there as much as I would trust Jay Bruce in center field. 
No. I mean, Bruce played center field for the Reds, and he's, he doesn't have the speed as a, as a typical center fielder, but he's very sure-handed. He's got a great arm. He's not going to embarrass you out there. So that's another way they could go uh, if they wanted to, you know, be concerned about defense. But I, I would be hesitant to put a guy who has not played out there all that much in such a vital position during the playoffs. Yeah, I would be more inclined to go with Chisholm Hall or Bruce, like you said, in center field and put Kipnis in left. I'd be more inclined to do yeah. something like that. But they've decided to yeah, go. That, that makes sense. Yeah, then they, but they've decided to go with Kipnis. You know, I, and I brought up Jose Ramirez, and I bring him up because, Mark, he is a dark horse for an MVP candidate in the American League. I know you've kind of paid attention to this kid and what he's done, but flipping back and forth between second and third like he's done over the last couple of years, Mark, he's hitting 314 this year, 27 home runs and 75 RBIs. He's got a slugging percentage of 515. And this kid's like 5'9", dripping wet, standing on a cement block, and weighs about 175 pounds. And this kid is, reminds me, he just keeps hitting. He reminds me of Manny. He does. The way he approaches the play, he attacks the ball. And he doesn't have the power yet, although 27 home runs isn't bad. But that's the exciting part about the Indians. They keep bringing these kids up. You never hear about them. And all of a sudden, they're, you're making headlines in the major leagues. And that's that's the, a tribute to their organization. Did you ever play, when you were a kid, did you ever play with a bunch of guys just get together out on the sandlot and play, and somebody brought their little brother along, and the little brother wanted to play, and nobody ever wanted to pick him, and he was normally the last kid that was picked when you were choosing up sides, and he ended up being a pretty good ball player? That's who Jose, sure, yeah, that's who Jose Ramirez reminds me of. The kid's yeah, little brother. I mean, but he's got a, the thing I like about him is his attitude. I mean, he's so enthusiastic, and that he, he's the one who got that double the other night. What he slid into second base and hit yeah. the first slide and set up the, 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 the winning run. Yeah, uh, that was sheer hustle, and he ran right out of the batter's box. He got that double in the first ten feet out of the batter's box, and he he wasn't going to stop. He, he he made up his mind, and and he made it. Mark, I'll say if the if the Indians don't win the World Series this year, I may never see it in my lifetime. This is a team that I think, and I, and I told Greg Mitchell, our producer, this morning when I was talking to him, this is a team that is going to be extremely difficult to beat in a seven-game series. With their pitching and hitting, they're going to be, I mean, and they're number one in defense now in the American League. So they're number one in pitching, number one in defense, and I don't know where they're at in hitting. But they're still hitting the baseball. They're going to be hard to be yeah, in the seven to be, set. <clears throat> Again, if you look at those top four teams, pardon me, any one of those teams is capable of winning a World Series. And they each have their own uh, – they could tout the fact that they have great pitching and deep. They wouldn't be where they are if they didn't. So the Indians are among a group of four that I think can win the World – should win the World Series. One of those four – is likely to win the World Series. But the problem with a short playoff is in a five-game series, you can get beat. You can lose two or three. And that is the the dastardly aspect of the playoffs because usually, you know, years ago when they had two leagues, the the winners were clearly the best teams in baseball. So, because they, they proved it over 154 or even 162 games mm-hmm. before they went to division play, division play gives teams who have not had a great year to win a World Series, and that argument can go back and forth. I can I could argue both sides of it, but right now, a, a to me a World Series between the Indians and the Nationals would be I think the, the best two teams in baseball. And that's what it should be. That's what I'd like it to be. The Indians and the Nationals or the Dodgers? No, the Nationals. Nationals, really? Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I think the Nationals are better than the Dodgers. Uh, they, they, they've been more consistent. They got, I mean, look at their pitching staff. I mean, God, they get Strasburg. Strasburg against Kluber in the opening of World Series game? Are you kidding me? And then Scherzer? That would, that would be a... Yeah, and Scherzer. Yeah. <laughs> so... Carrasco coming. I mean, what two great games to pick. In fact, who would you have number two 
who's going to be your number two guy? It'll be it'll be Carrasco. Yeah, I figure it would be. Yeah, Carrasco and then Bauer. And I know they've they've relegated Salazar to the bullpen because he just cannot spot his fastball right now. Um, they're trying to get they're trying to work him out of the bullpen and uh, try to get him to find his location, but he hasn't been able to do that. So I think they're going to bring him, like Tom Hamilton was saying the other night, he's in a quandary. Now, luckily, they've got a couple of weeks to figure this out with Salazar, but they cannot bring him in to a ball game right now with runners on on the bases because he's having such a tough time spotting his fastball that he's liable to walk somebody and just add to the problem. So they need him to start innings. And another thing is Andrew Miller. Now, Andrew Miller is coming off, you know, his plant leg is his right leg since he's a left-hander, and he's got tendonitis in that right knee. Well, he's been on the disabled list a couple of times this year because of it, well, both times in August, and they are just going to pitch him every third day whether he needs to or not, basically. They just want to try to build him up going into the playoffs, but he's pitched right now once since he came off the DL the second time and he looked he looked outstanding. He pitched on Friday night, he looked outstanding. They're gonna pitch him again, not tonight, but they'll pitch him again tomorrow night because they're off tonight. Uh but they'll pitch him well, out in LA. He's tonight. gotta be in the last twenty five years, I can't think of a left hander that would be more difficult to hit if you're left handed if you're a left hand hitter. Than him. He the, my God, he whips that thing Almost sidearm, or certainly three-quarter arm, and, and that slider breaks four feet. I don't know how you measure it, and he makes guys look foolish. He doesn't just strike them out. With Chapman, he, he just overpowers him. But uh, Miller can make you look really bad. Yeah, yeah, he he can, he can, and and that's the thing. How do you feel about these guys sliding into first? I mean, Zimmer's out, as I said, you know, because of a broken hand sliding into first base. I, I'm not crazy about it. Well, it's been proven. It has been proven with a stopwatch. You get to the base faster by running through it. Because when you leave your feet, you're, you're, you're no longer, you're, you're slowing down. Because, you know, you, you lost mm-hmm. your momentum. And it, it, and they proved it. So the only exception may be if, if you're trying to, Avoid uh, the pitcher who may maybe picked up a ground ball and is trying to beat you to the bag or something like that, but just because of you know where he is in the baseline. But the 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 facts you cannot argue. You run through the bag faster than you slide through the bag. Now, and that's what caused Bradley Zimmer to break his hand. He was trying to evade the tag by Eric Osmer, and he he slid into first base, and it it he broke his. Left hand, so he's out of the playoffs this year. But Bryce Harper's back. Bryce Harper, his target date is to be back for the playoffs, Mark. So, boy, adding that dimension to Washington even puts further credence into your prediction that they should beat the Dodgers. Well, right now, if you look at those five teams, I would I would put the Cubs fifth of those five teams. Mm-hmm. Their pitching is not that good this year. It's been inconsistent. They batter people because they, they get a great lineup offensively, and they just they just destroyed the Cardinals this weekend. The Cardinals are out of it now. I mean, the Cubs yeah. obviously are going to win the division. But I, I still don't think the kid, that the Cubs are a super team that could match Houston or Los Angeles or Washington or Cleveland. And, and I, think, I think, as we said, I think they're the same ilk. I think they're better than the Yankees, maybe. Uh, but Boston and, and Chicago, to me, are teams that are pretty similar. Well, two weeks left to go in the regular season. Mark, what do the Reds have going on this week? I know it's their last home stand of the year. Yeah, they, the Reds are playing Pennington. Te- well, the Cardinals were contending teams until this weekend, but they the Cardinals are coming into Cincinnati for Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then pretty exciting. The Boston Red Sox will be in for the weekend, and that's 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 pretty neat because they're trying to hold off the Yankees and uh, clearly a, a playoff contending team and. You know, that that could be a team that, with that pitching, you have to deal with. I mean, they, they can't be ignored as, as a really good team. I don't think they're as good as Cleveland, but uh, a few teams are. Yeah, we'll see. And then the Tribe, they've got the Angels, 
tomorrow night, Wednesday, Thursday afternoon, and then they'll be in Seattle on a West Coast trip Friday, Saturday, and Sunday this weekend. Mark, we'll talk about it all as we get one week left in the regular season. That's next week. We'll talk about it again next Monday night. Have a good one, Dave. You too. That's going to do it for tonight's show. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget, we'll be back again next Monday night at 9 o'clock with another Ohio Baseball Weekly Show as the regular season winds down to its conclusion. Just two weeks left to go in the regular season. I'm Dave Mitchell for Mark Donahue. Until next week, have a good night, everybody.